welcome to Powered by Magic, where we discuss topics surrounding magic and common or not so common questions. Let's take this journey together. Hi, I'm Tatiana. And I'm Sylvia. And we are coming to you from Eugene, Eugene Oregon. Oregon. Don't do that to me. <laughs> I didn't expect it. Don't do that to me. You were looking at me like you wanted me to do something. I No, just looked up. I just looked up. <laughs> We invite you to conjure up a broom and ride with us. <laughs> How are you doing this week? Pretty good. I've got an in-person Dungeons and Dragons group that I'm DMing now, which is very interesting. It's every other week. So, a lot of fun. They're already hooked, which is awesome. Great. Uh, and at work, I have a new job at work of forklifting all of the big boxes of books everywhere. Not a job I'd want to do, to be quite honest. It's, it can be a little stressful, especially when you have a load that has to be done in two hours. Mm. You have to load a trailer or unload a trailer in two hours. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's a little nerve-wracking. That sounds like it to me. I would not want to drive a forklift. I just wouldn't. <laughs> not my thing. How about you? How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm uh, getting ready to go into another pet sit, but not big deal. Okay. We're thinking of going to Pagan Pride today, possibly. Yeah, it looks like it. a lot of fun. It does look like a lot of fun. It's a local witches group here in Eugene, mm -hmm. which I'm just now getting more familiar with. Yeah, they don't actually have a fee to get in, although they do ask you bring a non-perishable item. Did they? Or uh, the food bank or whatever. Oh, I didn't know that. That's great. I have some stuff to give. Well, there you go. And I did Lunasa by myself recording this last week. Yes, you did. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> I'm sorry I wasn't able to help. Yeah, that's okay. It happens. But it was the first time that we didn't do it together. Yeah. And then I am I got to see some family and friends this week, which was really nice. I don't Aww. get a lot of opportunities because of my work. And mm -hmm. it was really nice to catch up with some people I haven't seen in a while. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shall uh, we begin with what is an egg cleanse? Yes. An egg cleanse is when you use an egg to scan over a person's body, kind of like using a handheld metal detector. And then you crack the egg open and pour the yolk and white into a glass of water. Depending on what the egg looks like in the water, you're supposed to be able to tell if there's the evil eye, a curse, or some other malefic thing happening to you. And I didn't know anything about this, but I happened to be in conversation with a couple of friends, and I think they said it originated in Italy, mm. and that you also use it as a divination method of sorts. Mm. Um, it still has to do with kind of an evil eye situation, Yeah, uh, you know, what's going on in your life, but it's kind of a divination thing. Interesting. Yeah. Sort of like a, uh, the teacup, you know. The yeah. Yeah. Blue tea leaf readings. It's a funny thing, when I was down in Texas, I had a neighbor, she didn't speak a lick of English, sweet lady though, and she actually helped me do her, help, had me help her do an egg cleanse. Oh, yeah. neat. That must have been very neat. It was very interesting, and I was slightly confused, but maybe she knew something about me that I didn't yeah. at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you weren't practicing at that time. No, I was not. Oh, that's interesting. Is table salt okay to use for cleansing slash charging crystals? Yes. Common table salt is just as good as any specialty salt, in my opinion. As for using it on crystals specifically, I think that's most commonly used form for uh, 
cleansing crystals that I can think of. That said, however, I would check on whether the stone is one that can sit in salt without damaging it. Much like submerging a crystal or stone, you want to be sure it doesn't change the makeup of the stone. Now, the benefit of using something like salt is that you don't have to have it sit directly in the salt. You can place a circle around it and still have the same effect. Yeah. I think I actually posted something to that effect in our Facebook group. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was whether you can use water, salt, and there was something else that you, oh, putting it in the sun and different crystals that those would actually adversely affect. Yeah, I remember you putting a list of things like that in there and I thought yeah. that was really cool. I think I wanted to save that one specifically for myself because I Okay, had, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I cool. saw that. My answer to this question is yes, of course. Table or regular salt was at one time the only option for salt people had. Now at that point it was probably not iodized, but... Still, that was what they had, was regular salt. Uh, There was no pink Himalayan salt, black salt, etc., unless you lived in that particular place. Witches have had to be resourceful over the centuries, and we can still be resourceful now. Mm Mm-hmm. Hear, hear. Do crystals still work if they're not touching your skin? I'm not as familiar with using crystals or stones in this manner, but I do believe I've heard of people using them without touching this body. It would depend on the type of magic you're doing. If you're doing physical energy work, then maybe it's better when it is physically placed on the body. But if you're doing a spell, then absolutely it does not have to be on the physical being. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Depending on what you're going for, yeah, it can work without touching the body. Like Tatiana said, if it's a spell, it doesn't have to touch the skin. If you're looking to use the energy of the stone or or a stone power grid is one option for not keeping them close. Otherwise, it's generally a good idea to keep them close. The stone doesn't have to be touching skin, though. So you can have, like, a little sachet with the stone in it in your pocket or something like that. Right, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Good points. Do you share your work? Yes. I have shared my work for years, especially under the circumstances of teaching. When I studied, we shared our work so that we could learn from each other. It was the same when I taught my students. I mean, how else would you learn? I mm-hmm. mean, go onto the internet, you read books, people are sharing their information. Yep, exactly. I answered, depends on what you're asking. Is it sharing the religion in general, or sharing a spell specifically? If it's sharing about the religion, sure, no problem with that. Though you may get pushback from people of other faiths. If it's sharing about a spell, unless you're doing the spell with someone, it's generally a good idea to keep it quiet. Talking about the spell redirects some of the energy away from the spell. Hmm. I hadn't thought about it that way. I had not thought about it that way. How many spells can you cast at one time? I've never considered this question before. I guess I've never had the need to do more than one at a time. That said, I think it would be best to keep it one spell at a time. That way your energy is more focused while doing it. Splitting your energy into too many directions would take away from the potency of it or them, of the various spells. That's my humble opinion in the matter. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good idea to focus on one spell at a time. Because if you work on more than one at a time, the energy will be split in many different ways, which will reduce the effectiveness of the spell. Now, I had done this, answered this from the perspective of like doing this more than one spell in a sitting. Um, but 
spacing like doing a spell this week and doing a spell next week while the first spell is working, is that still a thing? Do you still want to focus on one spell? Me personally, I probably would still want to wait on the one spell. If they're completely different things, I suppose you could do more than one spell, you know, in that manner. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, you are putting out energy from yourself into that spell. So I still think that you're connected while the spell is doing its thing. Yeah, and you don't want to, you know, split split that. Yeah, that's my opinion in it. Okay. I agree. I, I think I agree with you. Um... Because, I mean, unless it's a a completely different thing and it's something you really need to work on, like, more than one thing at a time, I'd prefer, you know, personally to do one at a time and just focus on that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is an unusual thing for me because I'm ADHD and I work on bunches of different things at one time. (laughs) But anyway, And how does that work out for you? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Is it normal to feel drained or tired after doing spell or ritual work? This is very common, and I've even warned my students about it, especially when doing the calling down of the god or the goddess. I believe the level of exhaustion is directly equal to the amount of energy you put into the magic that you're doing. Can this be avoided? In some instances, such as spell work, I think it can be just done by doing a protection circle, But it's different when you're calling in an entity because you can only protect yourself to a certain degree due to the very fact that you're inviting another energy form in, which is why you typically don't do this without the training and clarity of what you're focusing on. Definitely. It's you are, you're putting your own energy, focus, thoughts into a spell and that all takes energy. Whether that's the physical energy, you know, pumping through your blood, or the spiritual energy, it, it takes it all. Mm-hmm. You're definitely going to feel tired after it, whether that's the next day and drained or whatever, but there's definitely going to be some effect. Mm-hmm. I agree. How long do you usually wait before recasting a spell or deciding it's a dud? My spells usually have a two-week turnaround time. I believe you need to know your own magical parameters, and that is usually found out by having done more than one spell. Over time, you get an average of sorts. Once this period has passed, you may then start contemplating if it's a dud or not. Some larger spells take longer and smaller ones not so long, but that's not a steadfast rule. I would rely on your intuition in part, while also being open to the broad possibilities of what the outcome of the spell can be before recasting a spell. If you do recast, you most definitely want to start from scratch and maybe change a few elements of the original spell. You may even go so far as to rephrase the original purpose or question or request of the said spell. Mm-hmm. I usually wait a week or two myself, but like Tatiana said, it depends on the spell and who's casting it. If I feel a spell is a dud, I will first review what the intention was, go through all the spell ingredients, and look at what the chant said. If all of them still seem in line, then I will redo the spell. If I find something is off, then I will redo that particular element and then recast the spell. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. My spell was moved. 
was it now? <laughs> <laughs> if my spell were moved and the placement was an integral part of the magic at hand, then I would deconstruct the spell and start over. At which point I would probably move the placement if I could and do so without disturbing the premise of it and add an extra protection spell around it. Yeah, like a glamour or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I I have nothing to add because I, I've never had that happen to me. So I... I've never had it happen, but I just kind of placed myself in what that, that might idea, look. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Terminology when talking with non-believers. This one's a tough one for me. I typically don't speak to too many non-believers since I have concerns about offending them or feeling like I need to defend myself. I just accept where people are at in their beliefs. But if I had to, then I generally stick to non-in-your-face words, such as, I believe in working with nature and energy, or I believe in the possibility of many different ways of practicing one's path, or my beliefs are based largely on harming none as a foundation of my practice, etc. Mm-hmm. For me, talking with non-witches, I find that talking about my belief in broad terms is best. Um, they're not going to be real familiar with the ins and outs of, you know, terminology when you're talking about energy or like Wittershins or Deosil. Unless they ask questions and show interest, I keep the talk about my faith to a bare minimum. I often describe myself to others as honoring nature and the energy within the world. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Gifting witchcraft items. Okay, so it's often believed that most tools should be gifted and not bought. This, I think, can be tricky, but a wonderful gesture. If you do gift someone an item, then make sure of its origin and cleanse the crap out of it before (laughs) gifting it. Yeah. In my thoughts, gifting items is a beautiful way to affirm another witch's faith. I agree with Tatiana. Make sure you know the origins or cleanse like there's no tomorrow. I I don't agree with the thought that items need to be gifted because there are so many of us that don't have a witchy support system to facilitate those gifts. But if you can gift, it'll be appreciated, I'm sure. Yes, yes, it, it really would. Gift ideas for a practicing witch. Well, basic tools such as the athame, the broom, an incense stand or censer, chalice, wand, pentagram, or crystal representing the north. Other great gift ideas are things from the natural world, like stones, sticks or branches, feathers, shells, clay to represent fire perhaps, things like acorns, galls from wasps, and then just think about what element they represent as Mm -hmm. you're gifting it. Yeah, uh, a couple more natural things is like water from different bodies of water, like from a lake or a stream or a river or the ocean um, or rain. Mm-hmm. And bones is another really good one. Yeah, and this list can be very long. Yes. Other things you can get from a store, and they're fairly easy to find. Incense, pendants or jewelry, pendulums, tarot or other divination tools, herbs, which can be, you know, herbs that you pick from the kitchen aisle. I mean, there's some good use in those. Mm-hmm. Candles, glass jars. You put out the canning jars, you're definitely going to have witches looking at them. <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. love those things. Yes. 
oils, statues of preferred gods and or goddesses, bells, rattles, singing bowls, music, journals are just... Uh, that's a small list yeah it's a very small list there's so much out there and we're so creative as our practice goes I believe that and there's just so much opening for being creative Mm -hmm. in what you use or you know based on what you have circumstantially as far as money goes yeah we leave it very open and it really is the energy of the item Mm -hmm. and not the cost and Yeah. yeah Yeah, very much so. And the other thing, I was going to add something. Dang it. Oh, I was going to say, if you have somebody who is artistic and likes to include that in their witchy practice, you Mm -hmm. could get them art supplies. That's true. Yeah, that's a great idea. But anyways, please rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you found us. It really would help. Yes, it would. And we'd love to hear from you as always. Yes, we love your questions. And we appreciate you so, so much. Yeah. We love seeing our downloads happen. It makes us so happy. It really does. So thank you for listening to us. Yeah, we get our little hit of dopamine from seeing the downloads. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're a small podcast, but we love what we do. And we are hoping that we're helpful to you out there. Indeed. I'm Tatiana saying goodbye for now. And I'm Sylvia saying so long and thank you for writing with us. This has been Powered Powered by by Magic. Magic. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. We love you.